Good morning. Um, I'm going to start up. I'm going to actually try to stay up here this time. I know I say I do, but uh, I'm going to try it. Um, uh, I'm going to pray because I'm nervous, and that's what I do when I'm nervous. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for the sunshine. I thank you that your son has made a difference in our lives. Uh, I, I pray for uh, the saints here this morning and for those who have yet to join you, Lord, in uh, building your kingdom. Lord, I pray that our ears are open to hear what you'd have us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as history, okay, there it is. As history would have it, I know plenty of people that have come from a far place to a place of comfort with the Lord. But you know what the worst part of being, uh, about being a Christian is? You're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> the worst part about being a Christian is uh, getting used to being a believer. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, some of you seasoned Christians, some of you have been in the faith since childhood, some of you who uh, uh, Christians uh, from the cradle to hear, like, I've always been a Christian. I just grew up in the faith. Others of you became believers at summer camp as youth. Anybody met Jesus at summer camp? Anybody been to summer camp? Does anyone have a hand that they can raise here? <laughs> Thank you. Anybody been to a seminar or a conference? Jeez. It's rough. Ah. Okay. Mess me up there. Um, it's a powerful thing. If you've never been to a summer camp, it's a powerful experience. It really is. Uh, the Holy Spirit's fallen down. There's weeping and there's joy and freedom felt for the first time. I can still smell the mix of teenager and campfire mixed with tears and hands raised and hugging and encouragement. I can still see God move from the youth leaders praying for the youth to the youth beginning to pray for each other and holding each other and weeping and being exhausted from weeping. Two weeks prior, these kids didn't know each other. By the end, by the end of the camp, they're like best friends forever, wishing it not to end, and they're crying. And, and right after that worship, this like the, always the last night of, the, of camp, right? Some of you who know just nod with thank you very much like three of you. I'm going to talk to the three of you. The rest of you can just look at your neighbor. <laughs> and then, like, it's the last night. It's a worship service, and, and the music is playing, and the preaching is good, and everybody's excited. And some people get slain in the spirit. And then the youth leader has to watch to make sure the guys aren't praying too much for the girls <laughs> or holding on a little too long. You know what I'm... Now, see, yeah, now, now you do know what I'm talking about. Like, <clears throat> save room for Jesus. All right. Right, and then, the, and then after that's all done, the laughter begins. It's like this exhausted laughter. It's like this, I've spent everything that I have giving it to the Lord. I don't even know how to respond with my emotions anymore. And so now I'm laughing and we're hanging out. It's after the camp. We're sitting around the camp. We're laughing. We're enjoying each other's company. It's like being drunk on the Holy Spirit. And that night, you sleep so hard. You just crash. You've given it all out 
There's nothing left. You've laughed it all out. You've cried it all out. You can't breathe through your nose, and you pass out, snoring. But you don't care because everyone's snoring. I miss summer camp. I was a camp counselor for years. I used to go as a camp, camp uh, uh, a youth to camp, and then I was a camp counselor and director for a while, and I miss it. But the thing that happens with all camps and all conferences is my daughter said it this morning, it's Monday. You know what I mean? It brings us back to reality, our home life, our families that haven't found the Lord or our parents who don't think that we've changed or our friends who still have us pigeonholed in that box of who we're supposed to be. And so we come back and we have to deal with all of that. And as history would have it, we find ourselves repeating it, not learning from it, deaf to our own repetitive behaviors. Uh, I'm no classically trained historian, but the Bible speaks of the temple being built by Solomon, son of David, daughter of Bath, uh, son of David and the uh, son of Bathsheba. David's hands were dirty from war, and so he wasn't allowed to build the temple. But his son was. And his son knew that the temple would not hold God. But it was going to be a spot for people to recognize. It was going to be the epicenter of worship, the epicenter of culture, the epicenter of social life. That's what this temple is going to be. Of course, we're looking back at history, and we, with a keen eye, we can see the fault of the people of Israel. If you know the history of the Bible at all, you know that Israel had a lot of false starts. As put it mildly. But before that, we see that they rejoiced. If you look at, uh, what's the passage? I'm going to tell you in a minute. You go to 2 Chronicles like 5. And you start in 2 Chronicles 5 when they're preparing for the temple and they're worshiping. There's a blessing that's happening. There's sacrifices that are happening. There's worship music that's happening. Ribbon cutting. I don't know if there's ribbon cutting. Might, might as well have been ribbon cutting. I'm sure you can smell the incense, though. I'm sure you can smell the sacrifice, the animals burning. And the people are packed in. They've come from everywhere to see this temple being dedicated by Solomon. And then the glory of the Lord fills the temple. They have a manifestation of God's presence right there in front of them in the midst of their worship. I'm sure people are overwhelmed. I'm sure they're like, what is going on? I knew this was going to be good, but this is lit, right? <laughs> it's a moment like no one else has ever experienced before. Everywhere you look, the priests are consecrating themselves regardless of divisions. Pick it up for a second. Regardless of divisions, the priests are coming together. They have their own tribe. They have their own people they represent, their own families they represent, and they're coming together and they're consecrating themselves. They didn't care about the divisions. They were rededicating themselves to the Lord and to their calling. They were honest and open before the Lord, and they came together in public so the rest of the community 
could see it. They, the worship band began to play. The worship music is going, pulsing through the crowd. I don't know if they had drums, but I know they had lyres and they had harps and they had sing. Not lyres like I'm telling you a falsehood, lyre with a Y. It's a... <laughs> but the crowd, the, the, the cloud is so heavy that the priests can't stand up. The priests are slain in the spirit. That's some serious worship. This is pre-Jesus worship. They're laid out. This is the apex of the worship. And then Solomon drops one of the most solid prayers in chapter 6, a prayer that reflects his own understanding of the grace of God and the frailty of man, the prayer that reflects the wisdom that Solomon asked for from God and was granted. The prayer reflects a very real foreshadowing of Israel being taken captivity for their idolatry, their selfish ambition, and their self-righteousness. He doesn't mix words, only he prays. No, he didn't mix words. He didn't just pray the good parts. You know how we just pray the good parts? Lord, thank you for all the good things that you've done for me and all the good that's going to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Not, Lord, keep my feet from stumbling because I know I'm a wreck. He prays that part too. Solomon is indeed dialed into the culture and the times. He knows the history of mankind as well. He knows their hearts will wander. And then when Solomon can finally get some rest, Solomon is tapped out. He has done. They've done everything they can. They built the temple. They've had the worship music. They have sacrificed all the animals. The priests are all laid out. People are exhausted. They've cried out. They're snottied. Their eyes are all swelled up. He is done. Solomon's like, I can rest. You guys ever done that? Like you've done a, a, a some project and you've pamped it up and you knew it was going to be big and you finally got it done. You're like, all right, now I'm going to sit back in my easy chair. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to sit on the front porch and swing. But you just want to breathe, right? That's where Solomon is. He's done. He has done what he was called to do by God. Bless you. And he goes to sleep. And then, in the middle of the night, God comes and talks to him. That's precious. While he's sleeping. And he says in 2 Chronicles 7, is it going to go up there on the board? Because if not, I'm just going to, oh yeah, huh. I'm going to start in verse 11, so if you have a paper Bible or a digital Bible, you can read along with me. I'll wait. I can't hear your fingers flipping your thumbs unless you have, like, arthritis or something. I can hear click, 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 click. That's the sound of... Take your time. Second Chronicles 7, verse 11. Say amen. amen. All right, it's good enough. 
So when Solomon, it says in verse 11, and I have a different translation than you probably, but it's okay. When Solomon had finished the house of the Lord and the royal palace, successfully carrying out all that was in his heart to do for the Lord, and for the house of the Lord and for his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send a plague among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. For I have now chosen and consecrated this house so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So basically, here, God is speaking right to Solomon and co-signing what's in Solomon's heart. He's saying, yes, what you did is great, and I love it. That's a great confirmation. Wouldn't that be good if you just got done doing something, you felt like you are doing it for the Lord, and you fell asleep, and God came and visited you and said, good job, right? He gave you an attaboy. You'd be like, oh, yeah. I'm going to do this again. <laughs> he says, this is where I choose to be. That's what God says. I want to be here. My heart and my eyes will be here for all time. But let's not miss the ifs. He says, if I close up the sky, if I command the, the locusts to devour the land, if I send a plague among my people, all before the now famous passage, which is up here, my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. This sermon series is based on the promises of God, and I know you guys are like, okay, well, where are we going with this? That's a great promise. You can't see that one. That one. That's a great promise. And let me tell you why. This is a promise that puts the holiness of God first. God is just and deserves the first fruits of our energy, our thoughts, our intentions, and our devotions. If we miss it, there are consequences. Go back to, the, to those ifs, Right? Nothing is more important than God. Nothing. Nothing is more important than God. That should be tattooed on... Nothing is more important than God. I'm not going to advocate tattoos. And somebody's going to be like, you told my child to get a tattoo. <laughs> the second part of this is a promise. This is a promise of God preparing a way for his people. Let me explain to you what that is. It hasn't been 24 hours since the temple has been dedicated, since the people have worshipped, the priests have fallen out, slain in the spirit, literally. The priests are slain in the Old Testament, slain in the spirit. It hasn't been 20 hours, it hasn't been 15 hours, it hasn't been 10 hours. They just 
finished having a massive worship celebration. And God already has plans, knows that Israel is going to rebel. He already knows that. They're in the height, the apex of celebration, and God knows that they're going to lose it, that they're going to wander off course, that they're going to miss the mark. God is letting Solomon know that there is a way to recover from their sin. God is preparing a way for his people. He knows that they're not going to follow lockstep. He already knows that. He says, you know what? If they humble themselves, come back to me, it'll be good again. I'm the one who came to you in the first place. He knows that we are dust and that we have potential for missing a mark, which is sin, in case you didn't know. It's like an arrow uh, not hitting a bullseye. That's sin. And the best one is that God will hear us and not just hear us, but hear us and respond that we matter to him, that we matter to God. That's the third promise, that if we miss the mark, God hears us, will respond to us, and continue to carry us. We're all going to have mountaintop experiences. We're all going to have that point where we're excited about God, we're worshiping God, and we know for a fact that God has spoken something to us. We will all have an experience where we are in the presence of God. Like, I know that was God. I know that was a miracle. I know that God just showed up and did something that I couldn't do for myself. Who here has had one of those experiences where you know, okay, yeah, that was God, that wasn't me? If you haven't had one of those yet, stick around. But it's when we're coming down off that mountain. It's when the feelings have abated, when the spiritual blood isn't pumping as fast, when we are not moved by the music, not moved by the close proximity of our friends, when we are not moved by a new venture that the Lord has put us on, we can become complacent. We can become relaxed. Perhaps we forget incrementally about how awesome God is. We can all be guilty of this, and we know historically that Israel was, right? How many of you have had fear or Monday? I'll just call it Monday. Fear will be replaced with Monday. How many of you guys have had Monday creep in and destroy your joy and your hope from Sunday? How many of you begin to believe your own hype? Like, oh, man, I did that myself. I tied that shoe. <laughs> I made that thing happen, right? You begin to tell yourself, you can pump yourself up, like, I can do this. I got this. Appreciate you, God. I got this. <laughs> All our gratitude drops off minute by minute. It's not an immediate thing. It's not like, oh, praise God. I'm going to do my own thing now. It's like, oh, praise God. right? It's slow. It's slow. And God knows, the thing is that God knows that. Like what we're talking about, the reason we're all laughing is because we know it's true. We know it's true. Like, God, I'm going to give you my whole life except for that part, that part, that part, and these three. 
right? I don't need anything but this ashtray. You know, that's it's a movie reference. Don't worry about it. And for some people, it starts as simply as not thanking God for our meals. When we're eating our food, we begin to not give God his due. How many of you have felt the fire of God and then felt the cool breeze after the fire has left? We get our marching orders from God, and he will guide you, but somehow the cares of this life creep back in. Reminds me of the story. Okay, this is where I have to step. I don't want to leave it too far. Reminds me of the story of uh, this couple, this young couple, and they drive a pickup truck. It's like a Ford F-100 bench seat. Now, you know, yeah, we got a picture, right? It's that gray color from the factory gray. And the new couple, they're young in love, and they're sitting all close together. You know, he's driving the truck. He's got his arm around her. Can you picture this? Like that. Yeah, like that. Thank you very much. Y'all missed it. It happened. And they're driving along, and, the, and age catches up to them. You know, before long, the cares of this life catch up, and she wants to stick her head out the window, perhaps, or she wants to roll the window down, or she wants to fold that one little vent window in the front. You know what I'm talking about? So she can catch it. They have, uh, their air conditioning is, air conditioning is 240, <laughs> two windows down at 40 miles an hour. And so she eventually gets all the way over here. And one day she's driving, they're driving in a truck together, and she turns to him and says, you know what I miss? I miss when we would be cuddled up together, driving in a truck. And he says, you know what, honey? I never moved. That's how we are with God, right? Incrementally, just a little bit at a time. And God's like, I'm right here. In the same way, we're in a relationship with an unmoving God. He waits for us to come to him humbly, which is remembering we are saved by grace and not by works so that no man may boast that we are not right before God because we somehow are more special than anyone else. We are chosen precisely because we realize that, that we're not special, not more special than anyone else. Hey, John, can you come up? I'm going to wrap this up. I always forget to invite John up. I get done, I'm like, what happened to the music? And it's, it's on me. But what I want to do this morning is if you have somehow found yourself incrementally stepping away from the place of excitement about God, if you found yourself incrementally inching away from being right there, right beside him, hearing him speak to you in your dreams, if you found yourself somehow missing the mark for whatever reason, I want you to join me because God 
has made a way for us to get back. He's still there. He's still here for you. But it takes humility, man. It takes going, you know what, God? I am, I'm not worse than anybody else. That's a different level of humility. I'm not worse than anybody else. We're all a mess. Some of us are just slow to admit it. We're all a mess. So if you've missed that, if you miss that fire, or you need the strength to continue to press through when you're in the valley, if you need to know that God is with you, even though your life is falling apart and things aren't working out, I want to encourage you this morning that God is with you. That the work that Jesus did on the cross makes a way for us to be like this with God. Right there in his pocket. Right there in the palm of his hand. He hasn't given up on us. He hasn't given up on you. If you've never accepted Christ, if you've never said, hey, I want to have that experience. I want to know what it's like to not be able to breathe out of my nose because I've been sweating and praising God so hard. If you want to have that experience, it's available. He is a very real God. He has a very real love for you. My friend says that sometimes we can be hard as coffin nails, but God can break that too. He's no respecter of persons. So I'm going to do something that's off the script. Uh, if you wouldn't mind bowing your head and closing your eyes. If you're here this morning and you know that you have slid away, that you're not as close as you should be, if you've let the cares of this life drag you from the very presence of God I want you to just slip your hand up okay. thank you if you're here and, and you have not ever said Lord I want you God I want you to be Lord of my life Jesus I want you to be mine I want a relationship with you if you've never asked God for a relationship I want you to raise your hand thank you with your head bowed and your eyes closed I want you to, to pray with me Father God I ask that you remember me You know that I am but a sinner saved by grace. Help me, Lord, to not walk away so easily, Lord. 
increase your very tangible experience of your love inside of me. Lord, I repent for holding on to the things that I should be letting go of. Lord, I repent for not loving you the way you love me. Lord, I repent for holding back my love for my neighbors. Lord, I ask that you change my heart of stone to one of flesh. Lord, I pray for your spiritual blood to flow through me again. Breathe new life into me, Lord. Breathe a new awareness into me, Lord. Breathe on me with your Holy Spirit that I may pour out from a full vessel, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you said you would never leave me or forsake me. Forgive me for doubting that. Forgive me for trying to go my own way. I thank you that your promises are yes and amen. Amen.